there's a whole lot going on right now in the world around us, and we've got a number of things uh, taking place. And, and I do hope that today we will see God move in a mighty way. Um, you know, last week I, I began a series on the Psalms. I don't really know that this has any bearing on the series that we were coming out of or where we're going. I'm just trying to follow the Lord's lead as to where we are. And uh, today's message is a good one. We're going backwards in the Psalms, actually, and uh, we are going to pick that up in Psalm 11 today. Last week, we were in Psalm 17. Today, Psalm 11 doesn't mean we're going to continue to go backwards, but I do believe Psalm 11 speaks to us in a way. I've kind of entitled this Stay and Fight. Um, You'll understand, I think, as we go on, but I want to read that for us here this morning. Psalm 11, verses 1 through 7, which is the entire psalm. It says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow, and they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And it's a a wonderful scripture there for us to open up with. I read it out of the ESV. I'm going to be looking at it in a couple of different ways this morning as well. But uh, before we get started, let's just uh, take a moment to pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity once again to come together uh, about your Psalms, Lord, to come together and, and preach your word, speak your word today. And Lord God, we thank you for the opportunities that we now have to see you move in mighty ways, Lord, that we can look at your word in different ways, and God, that we can explore you as you continue to show us your glory. So Lord, as we as we share this message today, as we, as we share this opportunity to uh, speak about your word, Lord, I pray that we would be open and honest with one another, that Lord, we would be open and honest with you, that we would share our needs with you, that Lord, we would come to you and call out to you. And Lord, I pray that we would let the Psalms speak to us, let the prayers of David and the conversations of the psalmists speak to us, Lord, in such a way that we see you move. Lord, go with us, lead us. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, Lord, let everything about this be of you. And we just give you glory, honor, and praise today. Amen. I truly, truly am overwhelmed by the Psalms right now. I have uh, really embraced a number of the stories that they are telling. And, you know, we think about being, um, staying and fighting uh, is not necessarily, you know, you you get told about this fight or flight symptom or syndrome or whatever uh, that, you hear about in school, you hear about it uh, a number of ways, but there's this whole fight or flight mentality within each one of us. Uh, we can run or we can fight. Uh, those are the two things that tend to happen in adversity and in anxiety situations. And it reminds me of um, many stories 
that have been told where someone has had an opportunity to um, change the history of the world around them, be it their country, be it their community, whatever the case might be, just simply by staying and fighting and and not giving up on the battle that was at hand. There was a story about um, a Jewish man who stuck around and kept saving things. And and I, I wish I could remember the full story, but he kept saving things. And then um, he, he wanted to fight for human rights. And human rights are something that we have seen uh, fought for over the years, um, even up into today. Uh, and many of those battles uh, always have at least one or two that come out uh, way later. Um, I think of Martin Luther King. I think of um, Harriet Tubman. I think of, uh, you know, all of the stories of these who have done something for the community that they were working for, for the rights of the people that they were fighting for. And, um, you know, they're the names that you get remembered. Well, there's uh, the story of this Jewish man who continued to save records. And because of his records, when the war was over and, and you know, he was in a Holocaust camp and he spent a lot of time there, he ended up walking away, but he held on to stuff. And because of the notes and the things and the, all the stuff that he had saved over the years, they were able to bring some men and uh, some of the Nazis, uh, more than 1,100 Nazis found and punished for their part in the Holocaust when it was over. Um, the most notable uh, among them were a director for Hitler, one of the SS directors, and was captured. And this this story happened, and they were able to to punish those who had a part in that. And, and I, I mean, to see the fulfillment of that, but it didn't happen until the man died. He died and they found these records and through those records were able to punish those that had done something. And and I, I find that interesting. I find it pretty amazing. And I, I said all of that to say this, that um, there was a quote that went along with the story. And, and again, I wish I could remember the names that went with this. Uh, but it says, the most important thing I have done is to fight against forgetting and to keep remembrance alive. It is important to let people know that our enemies are not forgotten. Now, to a certain degree, that is what Psalm 11 is speaking about. To a certain degree, Psalm 11 is is telling us a story uh, similar to that, that, that the enemies will not be forgotten, that those enemies will not be put to the side. Um, this particular psalm is actually, it has been determined by many scholars that it refers to David when he was either running from Saul, which as we talked last week about Psalm, psalm 17, um, it's possible it was Saul. It's also possible that this psalm was Absalom, his son. Um, truthfully, Looking at it, it, it it feels maybe more like Absalom uh, in the in the wording in the situation, but 
whoever it was that David was running from, again, here he is running for his life. And, you know, we, we do kind of have to scrutinize uh, a little bit, maybe verse one. Uh, he notes first that his refuge is the Lord. Therefore, how can others say, or even within himself, he say, um, in the Lord, I put my trust. But then, you know, how say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. Now, or, you know, that, that being in the King James, the, uh, you know, the wording there, run to the mountain, run to the mountain. So it's good that we cannot pinpoint the exact timing probably of this psalm because it makes an excellent application to the entirety of our lives. We don't necessarily have to have a bad situation for us to relate to the psalms. Um, but we also don't need to know the situation David was in for us to relate to those psalms as well. And, you know, it's easy to put David's life into a category of maybe three different categories, uh, to break his life into three groups. And um, those those three groups are his young young years or the, um, you know, the, the early years, I, I would call it, the early years where David is um learning to worship and to love god and and those years uh, as a child as a young man as as a man who was being developed and groomed for something uh, those years kind of make him a saint in some ways um then you have the hidden years or the the um the running years maybe as you call it or uh, you know the years where he was constantly running from something, running from Saul, running from Absalom, running from his enemies, and, you know, where he, he really never knew if he would have a head on his shoulders by the next morning. Um, Saul chased him all over the land, but he would learn wisdom and how to limit himself in the courts, and it was there that he learned to really embrace um, parts of what he was doing. And then, um, you know, he learned how to be a soldier in those times. And then you have the, the later years where he never knew what might happen. And it's not only the times in Saul's day, but even after the times that he was king of Israel, that David found himself in trouble with enemies. But he learned wisdom and how to, you know, really um, get himself in there and he, he learned how to be what he needed to be for the time. When we read what he has written here in Psalm 11, what I find really interesting, where we can all relate to him, is there are times in life when a crisis might settle in on us. I don't know what we're talking about, right? I, I wanted to look at this in this time for this reason. There are times in our life when a crisis seems to want to settle in on us. And here we are in one. We are in a pandemic. We're in a situation where the world around us has been closed, where we have fear coming over everyone. We have the world wondering what's going to happen next. And we can all relate because there are times in our life when we might have a tendency to want to run and hide. Now, 
I don't mean run and hide from what's happening. I don't mean run and hide from enemies. I almost mean run and hide from responsibility. Sometimes the greatest lesson that we can learn from life is that we have to stay and fight. And I want you to see that in the conversation of this psalm today. In the psalm, we see a sense of confidence in David, a sense that will prevail. And around those, you know, those around David are filled with panic, but David is filled with peace because he knows that the Lord is a refuge. I find that Christians in this time seem to have a peace that the world doesn't understand. I have yet to be worried about this virus. I've yet to be scared in some ways about this virus in my own life. Now, I've never doubted that it can be overcome by God. I've never doubted that it can be um, handled. I've, But I have to be careful how I word that because I have worried for others. I have uh, struggled with it at times of, you know, what is the best thing for us to do? Joe and I have had multiple conversations about that exact thing, but the Lord is a refuge, and this psalm can almost be grouped with another um, few psalms that have this confident psalmist theme. Psalm 4, Psalm 16, Psalm 23, 27, 62, 125, and 131. You can write those down. Go and look at all of them at some point, and you will see what I'm talking about. But these psalms all have a confident air about them. They have this confident David, or writer, who is fully confident in the power of God. Now, looking at verses 1 through 3 of this psalm, we find uh, this security that David is talking about. Psalm 11 verses 1 through 3 say, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, and they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot into the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So the Lord is a refuge and a defense that no mountain can even begin to compare to. He's saying, I'm being told to run to the caves, to run to the mountains, to find shelter in this in this fortitude of land. And yet I feel safer in the Lord. I feel safer finding that peace in the Lord. See, David's emphasis here is saying the Lord is bigger and better and more, more of a fortress than that mountain would be. Instead of it being so much, you know, a song, it's more of a meditation on the presence of God in his life. And it gives the idea of a fugitive who is fleeing from enemies and longs to find the presence of the Lord, who is that place of refuge, that fortress. The writer of Hebrews actually verified this refuge that we have in the Lord. Uh, in, in Hebrews 6.18, it says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. You see, there were six cities of refuge uh, or, that were provided by God for anyone who accidentally killed another man. And he could flee to those cities and we could look them up and see them in the scripture. And this was to avoid the fury and the anger of the avenger, the one who would return the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth. The Lord Jesus Christ serves 
as that refuge city for us. He is that refuge. There aren't any alternatives out there which might cause us to think otherwise. Jesus Christ is the answer for every difficulty that a saint will ever go through in their life. The cities of refuge had characteristics about them that resemble our own hope and our own path to the Lord. So let's look at those cities and how they, you know, the the characteristics of those cities that match the characteristics of the Lord, a sanctuary for distressed souls, a place that is easy to approach, a place that is on the hills and the mountains so that all can see, a place that was never more than a half day's travel away. When wrath called for death, a man was safe in that city. And those are the benefits that were provided to that man. Now, this would have been if somebody had committed a crime, committed a murder, and and someone was looking to avenge that murder. They could run to those sanctuary cities and they could find all of these things. Well, these are the things we can find in the Lord. When we've committed a, a sin or a crime or whatever it might be, we can find that peace in the Lord. Now, that does not mean that we won't have to pay for those crimes. But it does mean that we can find refuge in God, even in the hardest of times that we may face. Now, I'm not comparing any of us to a murderer or to someone that needs a sanctuary city. But despite our knowledge of the Lord being a refuge, there are times when we do not clearly grasp what David or what is happening here. And David was saying, I am trusting in the Lord. I have put my confidence in him and I have sought his refuge in this crisis. But I'm contending with the temptation to want to run away from the problem. I do believe that verse 1 is David speaking to David. In in some ways, I believe that David is speaking to David here. David is saying, the Lord is my fortress. He's my refuge. Why would I want to run to the mountain? The Lord is my protector. He is the one. It's a temptation that we all have to deal with, the temptation to face what we've done, to face the troubles, to face the trials, or to run away fearful and scared. We have a tendency to want to run and hide from a crisis. It demands our responsibilities in some ways. I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's times where during this entire thing, I've just wanted to just disappear for a little while. Sometimes it's just you get so overwhelmed with knowledge. You get so overwhelmed with information. It's a very powerful temptation that David is facing because of the circumstances that he found himself in and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Maybe wicked enemies already in place to attack us. Maybe running would at least put David beyond the reach of the enemy or maybe running would put us beyond that reach. There's a lot of situations that make us want to fear and to flee, but we have to put our trust in God. We have to put our trust in the Lord in the circumstance. Maybe when the diagnosis is cancer, you can't run from that. That you have to stay and fight. Maybe the weight of suffering is dragging you down. You've got to stay and fight. You can't run from that enemy. When spiritual growth doesn't seem to be going forward, we have to stay and fight. We might not be able to run from the enemy we are facing. 
when our emotions are so negative and our faith is not strong, we must stay and we must fight. When our responsibilities seem bigger than we are, we must stay and fight. We sometimes have to learn that the greatest thing that separates success and failure is our walk with the Lord. You know, the greatest thing that separates success and failure in our walk with the Lord is the grit with which we handle the situation. Grit and determination help us to stay and fight. When we are gritty, when we are determined, we will stay, we will fight, and we will fight hard. The Lord will bless you with a powerful sense of accomplishment. But when David is presenting in these first three verses, he takes refuge in the Lord and he notes the refuge despite the wicked that are coming after him, despite the wicked that shoot at him like snipers in the dark. He doesn't even know where the next attack might be coming from. But he says, my hope is in the Lord. My trust is in the Lord. No matter where these attacks are coming from, no matter what might come my way, I will hope in the Lord. He also notes that when the foundations are failing, when they're falling, he can still believe in the Lord. That even when the foundations begin to crumble, the Lord is his strength. Now, many believe that David was having maybe some reference to social and moral foundations that were crumbling around him. The Hebrew root word here indicates the settled order of things. It indicates um, the the structural aspect of it. Having a reference to the laws that govern society, if law and order or justice and truth fail in society, what are we to do? Well, I don't know. Look around us today. We're starting to see some of those foundations crumble. Psalm 11 speaks to us in the moment we are in right now. In the moment we're in, it speaks volumes to us. And we can see that today. But the great issue is not that they are faltering, but what what are the good saints of God to do? What are the saints who are who are trying to remain faithful? What are we to do? Oh five years after the pilgrims came to America, they landed on the shores of America with great vision and determination. And it showed in their actions at the start. The first year they built and established a town. The second year they elected a town council. The third year the town council proposed to build a road five miles into the wilderness for westward expansion. In the fourth year the people criticized the proposal as a waste of public funds. They could not see the big picture. And once they'd been able to see across oceans, now they couldn't look five miles into the wilderness. You see, we cannot afford to worry that the foundations are collapsing. There are no political answers for spiritual problems. There are no political answers for spiritual problems. Therefore, the only thing that the true church can do is to be righteous. The only thing that we as the church can do is be righteous. The big picture is to see that there are people who are lost, people that need direction. And that direction is the one of a savior. The big picture is that the church has to be advancing the cause of Jesus Christ no matter what.
The church has to be advancing Christ's cause. We have to do the work that is set before us. No matter what comes against us, no matter what we will face in life, no matter how the government might come down on us for worshiping and for doing and for living and doing what we're doing, we must stay the course. We must stay firm in the word. We must do exactly that which is set before us to do. Let's look back at Psalm 11 now, verses 4 through 7. And it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The first three verses of Psalm 11, we see the security and refuge that David has, that we have in the Lord. This is the strength of the Lord. These four verses, these five, four or five verses here, um, talks to the strength of the Lord. One of the places that his strength comes from is his holiness. Remember that David is writing before the temple has been built. This is prior to the temple. The temple actually would not be built until Solomon built it. But here David is presenting the thought that the Lord literally dwells in holiness. One of the great areas of the Lord's strength is in fact in his holiness. And we can go so far to say that the strength of his holiness is what brings security to the church. It's what brings peace to the church that we are in, to the church as a whole worldwide. His holiness moves us to fear sin. His holiness causes us to value that which is godly and which is righteous. His holiness ushers in the glory of God. His holiness has a drawing power toward God. His holiness confirms power in our prayers. His holiness provides a motivation toward sincerity with God and with man. His holiness is an absolute treasure for all who are spirit-filled. There's a book called... Uh, I don't remember, I, and I didn't have it in my notes, but it's okay. There's a book talking about this in some ways, and and you know, there's the question of us being spiritual. Are we spiritual? Is that why things happen around us? I do believe we do face spiritual battles. I do believe that we do face some spiritual things on this earth. And what goes on in our bodies for the good and evil is the spiritual battle. Is it because we are more spiritual that we recognize those things? I, I do believe that that's a possibility. Does holiness go hand in hand to create um, this type of encounter? It doesn't matter, honestly, what it is within us. The question is, Wherever the presence of the Lord is, there will be a powerful work of holiness moving in our hearts, and it will have a great impact of those who are worshipers and those who are in need of salvation. The Lord needs to be in a holy temple. You know, the scripture establishes us as a holy temple. He needs a holy heart, a holy vessel, holy hands, holy minds, holy saints. And it provides strength for us in ways that we cannot even perceive. It provides strength for us in such ways that we can never imagine. There's this matter that goes along with holiness as well. 
that it's the way the Lord tries or tests the righteous. You know, in the in the contrast of the verse, it, it really can kind of open our eyes a little bit. But verse 5, Psalm 11, 5, I'm going to read it out of the King James. It says, the Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. There's this testing process that's going on within us, a testing process that goes on in the life of every child of God. But those that are wicked, the Lord leaves them to their own devices. Romans chapter one, we could talk about that all day. We have talked about that many times. The Lord starts working with testing in our lives by various means. He allows us to see the character traits and the habits of our lives that are not righteous. If we see those, we are then on on trial, so to speak. We're, we're under the gun. We are being tested. He will allow trials and troubles to come into our path, and he will allow trying temptations to settle in our lives. Remember, we have talked about this a number of times recently, where it says that the Lord himself will not tempt you, or can he be tempted? But when you face temptation, the Lord will give you a way out. He will give you an exit strategy. He will give you an opportunity to get out of it. The whole matter of the challenge is to the righteous. You know, these challenges to the righteous uh, literally turn them into the saints of God, the saints of the Lord, the, the followers, the, the true believers, the Christians. It literally turns us into the faithful. That's the beauty of these trials that we face. The perseverance develops within us, and it's persistence in those things that develop our faith. You know, you keep your faith in knowing that the Lord has every one of the trials in his hand. Adversity, persecution, prosperity. They're all weighty tools that the Lord has in his control. Don't be alarmed when the Lord works toward testing your soul, when he allows the testing of your soul. And that's not to say the Lord tests you, but it does say that the Lord allows those testings to take place. When when Job faced testing, Job faced testing because God had faith in Job. But don't be alarmed if testing occurs, occurs in your soul. It has to take place for spiritual maturity to develop. Here's another aspect that we've lost in this Americanized theology in churches today. And I want you to understand this. I, I, the Lord will test the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, David clearly sets forth that God hates these people. Although there may not be any immediate judgment, the day will come when he will deal sharply with those. Honestly. There is no way for us to remove judgment from the scripture. It is a doctrine of eternal judgment that that is in the scripture. And because of Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the flood of Noah, the, the same measure will be taken for the future for those that ignore the call of God. We can read Revelation and it speaks to that. Um, the storm or the tempest. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. That's verse 6, and I think it says a lot to us there. This is contained 
in, in it is a picture of this desert, this burning desert wind that parches and withers everything in its path. Um, another phrase in the verse that deserves our attention here is David says, judgment is the portion of their cup. David says that their judgment is the portion of their cup. So if their judgment is the portion of their cup, then what we see here is that, you know, to the Hebrews, they would have known exactly what this statement was being made. The head of the household generally gave each family member a cup to drink of. Every family member got that cup every meal. David notes that the Lord is going to give a cup full of his wrath to those who have offended his holiness, his justice, and his righteousness. So if you've offended the Lord, you will get a cup full of his wrath. These were some of the prophets who also picked up on the tone of their preaching. It was intended to turn the nation toward God. Isaiah said something similar. Isaiah 51 in verse 17, it says, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunk in the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. Verse 22 of the same chapter, Thus saith the Lord, thy, thy Lord, the Lord, and thy God that pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling. Even the dregs of the cup of my fury, thou shalt no more drink it. Again, Ezekiel 23, verses 31 through 33, thou hast walked in the way of the, of the sister. Therefore, I will give her cup into thine hand. Thus saith the Lord God, thou shalt drink of thy sister's cup deep and large. Thou shalt be laughed to scorn and had in derision. And containeth, it containeth much. Thou shalt be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, with the cup of aston astonishment and desolation, with the cup of thy sister, Samaria. We must live our lives in a God-honoring, God-exalting, God-fearing way, so that the testimony of our lives speaks to and preaches to those who observe us. This psalm doesn't end with the wrath of God, however. It ends with beauty. It ends with hope. It ends with opportunity. It ends with blessings. Verse 7, it says, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. For those who love righteousness, there are benefits. The Lord literally upholds us when we aren't even aware of it. It's an age-old story that we see about the footprints in the sand. There are times when we look back and we see one set of footprints and we ask the question, but Lord, why at the hardest times of my life, why at those hard times am I seeing one set of footprints? And the Lord replies, but it was then, then that I was carrying you. Isaiah 33, 15 and 16 reminds us that the Lord loves those who do righteous acts. Isaiah uh, 33 verses 15 and 16 speaks to the Lord loving those who do righteous acts. And uh, I want to flip to that just real quickly and read that to you today. And this is where we will begin to wrap things down a little bit. But Isaiah 33 verses 15 and 16. It says this to us this morning. He that walketh uprightly or righteously and speaketh uprightly, 
He that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil, he shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Breads shall be given to him. His waters shall be sure. The Lord sustains us in our adversity. The Lord sustains us in the hard times. The Lord helps us to find peace in the hard days. The Lord delivers us from the enemy that might be at attack. The enemy will attack us and we are going through spiritual attacks now. We will continue to go through those attacks, but the enemy cannot touch us if the Lord is the Lord. And he is. The Lord touches us with close communion. And the Lord moves us toward that world which is to come. Now, this is why we also left communion to the end today. The Lord touches us with close communion. He comes near to us, drawn near to him, and he will draw near to you. That's the promise we have. Psalm 11 points out the securities that a saint of God has. Those who become saints in the spirit. Now, that's not, you know, the term can be argued day in and day out. But the reality is simply this. Those who are his saints, his children, the followers that we know of, that we have the assurance of faith in knowing that they've passed from this life into that heavenly realm. But also we can have that assurance here of ourselves. The strength of the Lord provides for us. I hope that you will be dependent upon God, ever dependent, as we try to understand the absolute necessity and responsibility that we have to stay and fight the battle. Do not run from the battle of the spirit, the spiritual battle that is taking place in you through these times, the anxieties, the worries, the struggles, do not run from those. Stay and fight. Don't flee to the mountains. Instead of running, understand that the necessity of our responsibilities to do and seek the will of God is what should stick out for us today. We find peace in God today. We find hope in God today. We find understanding in God today. And God sustains us in that adversity. The Lord delivers us from the enemies that bring attack on us, and he touches us with close communion, moving us toward that which is to come. Stay and fight today. Stay and fight because the Lord loves those who do righteous acts. What does that mean for us? It means that we come before him with humble hearts. We come before him with broken hearts, and we know that he is the only refuge we can seek. He's the greatest refuge we can find. The Lord, our God, he is God. Let's go back to verse one real quick. What does it say? In the Lord, I put my trust. In the Lord, I put my trust. The Lord is my refuge. Why would you say to me, run to the mountains when I'm already in the safest place I can possibly be? Don't let fear overcome you today. There's no need for fear when the Lord is in control. Again, we want to thank you for tuning in for our services here on our uh, podcast page. Thank you for listening and hope you had a blessed time with us. You can get more information on Newland Christian Church at newlandchristianchurch.com 
or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Newland Christian Church. And until next week, we hope you have a blessed week in the Lord.